worship as, as we continue through our worship service. Please help us to be uh, receptive to the words that, that you speak through Pastor Hayes. Lord, I pray that you would be with Pastor Hayes, that he would honor you in the things that he says, that, uh, that you would be glorified this morning as we continue through our service. Lord, we thank you so much for your salvation, that salvation that you promised to humankind from the beginning of time, from the moment that we sinned and from the moment that we recognized the impossibility of our own deliverance without you, Lord. Lord, thank you for fulfilling that so perfectly through the sacrifice and death of Jesus on the cross. Lord, I pray all these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Please be seated. Any parents that have children ages 4 to 7, if you wish, you can dismiss them to stepping stones. As Jesse mentioned, we continue our sermon series called Praying the Psalms, which is actually part of a larger year-long emphasis on prayer. And I'll tell you that what we're trying to do, Dan and I, as we have these sermons, is help all of us to build towards a life of prayer. So far in the series, we have been, uh, in praying the Psalms, we have been instructed to share our feelings and desires with God, that is, to not hide or pretend when we talk to God. And in an earlier sermon, I borrowed a phrase from Paul Miller saying that real prayer is the real you talking to the real God. And that's what God wants us to have, is that real prayer. And part of it includes being honest with God about where we are with all the things that are happening in our lives. Then we were encouraged to depend on God every day and in every circumstance and remember that we are dependent on God every day even if we don't think that we are, even if we don't remember that we are. And then last week as Dan was preaching to praise God every day and praising God reorients our view of our own lives and it reorients our view of God. Now, several weeks ago, I gave the church a challenge, if you put that slide up. The challenge was for us to pray for your family, friends, and neighbors, and there were four parts. Ask God to give you and our church family his heart for other people. Pray for their needs and challenges, that is, for family, friends, and neighbors, for their challenges and struggles, their everyday life issues. Pray that God would rescue them spiritually and grow them spiritually. Pray that God would use you to do good to them. So let's look a little deeper at these four points. First, pray and ask God to give you his heart for other people. We see God's heart in the good news of the gospel, where God loved us at great expense to himself as he worked to rescue us from sin. In contrast, you and I are naturally selfish. So in this request, we're asking God to work in us so that we pray for other people with a right attitude and motivation. That is, to have the same kind of heart that God does is that he has for us. And then secondly, to pray for the right things, what God says we need. Well, needs come in the next two points. Pray for your family, friends, and neighbors for their challenges and struggles, their everyday life issues, And you discover these, their issues and struggles, by talking to them. Very simple thing. 
But don't stop there. And I say don't stop there because too often we do stop there because we need more than that. And so point three, pray that God would rescue them spiritually and grow them spiritually even if they're not interested at all in spiritual things. And sometimes you could even say, especially when they're not interested in spiritual things. But this point, three, is most important. In fact, it is more important than any other life issue because it has to do not only with our life here, but with our eternal destiny. And here's the other part of it. The Bible is very clear. All of us need spiritual rescue. Every single one of us that is to be given spiritual life. And all Christians need to grow spiritually to become more like Jesus because, again, that's not our nature. We don't naturally tend to look like God and reflect God in what we do. And then fourth, pray that God would use you to do good to your family, friends, and neighbors in some way. So pray and ask that God would give you opportunities to do good. And then let's talk about what that good can look like because it's a really big uh, range of things that we can do. It can be a kind word, giving somebody a ride, helping someone with a task that they have, spending time with them, not teaching, not working, not correcting, sometimes just spending time with them, encouraging them, praying for them. And we've talked in the past how helpful it can be sometimes when somebody shares a struggle you can ask can i pray for you and if they say yes well can we do it right now and then you pray for them in front of them that's very encouraging sometimes doing good means speaking god's word to them and sometimes doing good to somebody includes confronting them now there's a lot of other things a lot of other parts the confronting part is not so comfortable but it's also very necessary, and there's many other things. But let me encourage you to start with prayer because prayer is the preparation for any action. And I would encourage you, if you have not done it yet, to take up this challenge and to regularly pray in your personal prayers and your family prayers. And so this challenge, these four points, are in the sermon supplement you don't have a copy of it, it's out in the narthex. And if you receive the Friday email, it's in the Friday email. The sermon supplement is. I encourage you to print it and then stick that challenge somewhere where you're going to see it to remind you of what we need to be doing, what God calls us to. And then as you look at the list of four points, the middle two points of the challenge are examples of intercessory prayer, and that's our topic for the day. To intercede means to speak on someone's behalf or to act on their behalf. And so intercessory prayer is praying to God and asking God to help someone else. It's asking God to work in their life. Now, in the book of Matthew, Jesus was asked one time, what is the greatest commandment? And he replied, greatest commandment is to love God with all your heart, soul, and mind. And when you look at the New Testament That word love doesn't mean to have warm, fuzzy feelings for God, though we should. It means to choose to please God, to obey God, and to delight in Him. But then he goes on to say, and the second is like it, love your neighbor as yourself. And then he says this, these two points, loving God, love your neighbor, it summarizes the entire Old Testament law. It's that everything, every single law in the Old Testament 
and the Jewish religious leaders in Jesus' day had managed to take what God gave and multiply it into 612. All of those can be summarized with these two. Love God and love your neighbor. Well, intercessory prayer is part of loving your neighbor. And then our verses for today from Psalm 20 are an example of intercessory prayer. So remain seated and let's read from the screen Psalm chapter 20, verses 1 to 5. Let's read this together. May the Lord answer you in the day of trouble. May the name of the God of Jacob protect you. May he send you help from the sanctuary and give you support from Zion. May he remember all your offerings and regard with favor your burnt sacrifices. May he grant you your heart's desire and fulfill all your plans. May we shout for joy over your salvation and in the name of our God set up our banners. May the Lord fulfill all your petitions. Now, this prayer, this psalm, is a prayer for King David. And I would imagine then also kind of extension for all of the other kings that came after him. Now, David did write a lot of the psalms, not all of them. But this one was written not by him, but for him. And look at what God is asked to do in the verses. May God answer you whenever you have trouble. Whenever. May God answer you. May God protect you. Now you see something a little unusual. You see that phrase, may the name of God of Jacob protect you. Well, how can somebody's name protect you? This sounds strange to us, but it's a way to refer to God. And so what the writer is saying, may God protect you. May God send you help. May God remember your offerings. That is, may God remember your worship of God. Then, he, then they ask, may God grant you your heart's desire. Now, this does not mean that God is our genie. And if we just figure out the right way to ask or ask enough times, he'll give us whatever it is we're asking for. No, we're told in Psalm 37, delight yourself in God and he will give you the desires of your heart. Well, think about how that works out. If you and I are delighting in God, then God is the greatest desire of our heart. And so if we're saying, God, give me the greatest desire of my heart, and our, that desire is God, then what we're saying is, God, would you give me yourself? And he loves to do that. He is the greatest gift that we can ever get. And then they ask, may God fulfill all your requests. But notice it's in the context of praising God. So Psalm 20 is one example of intercession, and you see some similar examples in Paul's prayers in the New Testament, but not many of the Psalms actually use this particular form of intercession. In some of the Psalms, the writer focuses on me and I in their requests, and we see an example of this in Psalm 86, starting in verse 1. Incline your ear, O Lord, and answer me, for I am poor and needy. Preserve my life, for I am godly. Save your servant who trusts in you. You are my God. Be gracious to me, O Lord, for to you I cry all the day. Now, this is a great prayer to pray for yourself, and we should pray this way every day, but it's not intercession. This is praying for me. 
And again, what's our natural? What, what, what did Martin Luther call it? He called it the curvitas of sin, that just self-focus. I think Wayne Creeble in a sermon, uh, not a sermon, but in an operatory prayer a few weeks ago, had a t-shirt of a black hole. And he said, we're like a spiritual black hole. We just suck everything in and make it all about us. Well, this is a good psalm, a good prayer, but it's not intercession. But in other psalms, the writers use the word us and our. Here's an example from Psalm 85, verse 7. Show us your steadfast love, O Lord, and grant us your salvation. So even though it's not in the same form as Psalm 20, where it's very clear one person is praying, God, would you bless this other person? Would you do good in their life? When you see that, the, the words us and our, you realize that's intercession. Because I'm not just praying for me. I'm saying, God, there's me, but there's also all these other people with me. And I'm asking you to work for all of us. That's an example of intercession. And so intercession is asking God to meet the needs of other people. And if you think about it, we all have many needs and we have many kinds of needs. We have physical needs and relational needs and spiritual needs. We have needs first because we're human. That's the way God made us, to depend on him. But then add to the fact that we're broken people, that is, we're sinful, selfish people, and we're in relationships with other broken people in a broken world, and there is no question about our neediness. It is, that is us. So I want to take a minute and look at intercession and look at some facets of intercession. And I use that word facet on purpose because I want you to think of a diamond and the facets of a diamond. It's all one diamond, but there's different ways of looking. Here we're going to look at intercession, and there are four parts that I'm going to look at this morning. And I will say again, this is not original with me. I found it as I was preparing for the sermon, but I think it is very good. So intercession involves need. Love, powerlessness, and faith. Now, neediness is universal for humanity. That's just what I was making the case of. And though you and I have needs, today we're focusing on the needs of others. So as we are praying to God for others, that's love. We're actively caring about others when we intercede for them as we pray. But then there's powerlessness. Again, not a popular topic. If you and I had the ability and the power to meet our own problems and to solve our own problems and meet our needs, we wouldn't be needy and neither would other people. But so often, and truthfully, all the time really, there's little and nothing that we can do to help ourselves and others. Again, we don't like, there's a part of us that just does not like to, to agree that I am dependent on God and God says, well, yeah, you are, and not just a little bit, for your very breath. Which makes our ignoring God and thumbing our noses at God and saying no to God all the worse when we realize that that's where we are. Powerlessness, we are powerless. And then faith. In intercession, we're asking God to act. But remember, he acts in his time and in his way. So as we look at these four points, I want to share two thoughts, and then it just, for me, it just was like a waterfall. It just kept adding a thought to a thought to a thought. So first, 
of the two thoughts that I have. Because of the perverse nature of sin, and sin really is twisted. That's one of the words. Iniquity means it's all twisted up. Because of the perverse nature of sin, and sin affects all of us, our own human nature resists depending on God. We resist depending on God for our own needs and for helping others. We would rather do it ourselves. So a few of you, well, all of you that have had children, they were toddlers at one point. If they're toddlers now, you hear these words. I do it myself. They didn't have to be taught that. No, it just comes natural. Okay? And so because we have this natural desire, I'm going to do it myself, well, praying for others and even for our own needs can feel passive. I feel like I'm not doing anything. All I'm doing is talking. And again, what's the uh, American way? As we do. We get up and do. Okay? So that's one. Secondly, we often resist interceding for others because in our own selfishness, we'd rather focus on ourselves. And so a couple different ways that things don't work out. And along with this selfishness, there's this thought in our culture that tells us today you must be true to your feelings. And what is our, our natural tendency, especially as we begin the day and then get into the day? We have all these desires and needs and pressures and other things, and the world just kind of ends up revolving about just what I see in front of me. And who gets left out? Others. And so if you follow this line of thinking, if you don't feel like praying for others, our culture says then you shouldn't. Otherwise, it's to not be true to yourself. Well, the Bible makes it clear. You and I should not wait until our motives are pure to intercede for others. Okay? Because our motives will never be totally pure while we're on, on this earth. And so God says, look, pray for others even if you don't feel like it. Now, you won't find that exactly word for word in the Bible, but that's part of his message. Pray for others even if you don't feel like it. And you might be surprised to find that by the time you're done praying, your attitude has actually changed. Your feelings have changed. Now, here's a thought related, again, to thinking that prayer is passive. When you and I intercede for others, we're actually taking the initiative. And when we take the initiative, we copy God. I mean, think about it. God does not wait for us to go look for him. If he did, we'd never find him because we wouldn't ever go looking. Instead, he comes looking for us. God doesn't always wait for us to ask him for help before he helps us. Sometimes God helps us without being asked. And then sometimes God prompts other people to pray for you so that when he answers their prayer, you're helped and so are they. Here's another thing. Another bit of wrong thinking. Some people think that prayer, they think of it as a last resort. As, as if they build a little box in their mind, they put God in the box, glass in front with a sign on a top that says, break in case of emergency. Pray only if nothing else works. Again, where, where does that come from? It comes from the, I can do it myself. But again, if you've if had toddlers... And you hear the toddler say, I do it myself. You know, they stomp their foot, whatever. Let's say they're trying to dress themselves. 
Well, eventually, yeah, they're going to be able to dress themselves. But what happens in the meantime? Often they get stuck. They get frustrated. And then they get mad. Okay? That little toddler is a human being without filters. Okay? You and I do the same thing. We have the same feelings. Just as we get older, we start to hide it better. So, we think of prayer as a last resort. I didn't consciously think that way growing up, but I look back and realize I used to live that way because I just it just wasn't in my mind to involve God in life. Well, if I'm not involving God in life, I'm not talking to him about it. <clears throat> what does that attitude do? It elevates our view of ourselves, and without intending to, it diminishes our view of God. Again, he's behind the glass. He's there if we need him. Maybe, but... but kind of goes along with it. Maybe he'll help, maybe he won't. In contrast, what you see in the Bible is God is the creator and sustainer of the universe. He's intimately involved in our lives, and he's the only one who can change our hearts. So instead of putting God last, prayer to God for ourselves and others ought to be our first priority. Again, I'm telling you what I'm after. I'm after all of us growing towards a life of prayer. So that we're praying about everything and talking to God about everything. So along that line, one more thought <clears throat> before I give you some more examples of intercession. So we have this default of trying to do things for ourselves. So let us sit for a second and think and compare your and my ability to uh, help others and God's ability. So go ahead and put up the slide. So on the left side here is us. And here we are with limited resources. We can only be in one place at one time. We have limited knowledge. <clears throat> in fact, uh, I was really surprised when I heard a scientist say, you know, the more we know, the more we know we don't know. So you can follow that one. And we have limited power. Let's look at the other side. God has unlimited resources. God is everywhere. God knows everything. And God has unlimited power. So which one can do the better job? Okay, it's really simple when you look at it like this. Very simple. God is the one who's better able to help. But that doesn't leave us on the couch doing nothing. God calls us to help others as we depend on him. That's what he wants us to do. Two other examples of intercession, intercessory prayer, and these are both are from Jesus. First is from his model prayer, what we call the Lord's Prayer. Matthew 6, verse 9. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we also have forgiven our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. Now I think, yes, I underlined it. Underlined the us's and the ours. Because you see how Jesus starts the prayer focusing on God, which is always a great place to start. Um, but not also, just as a side note, not always a requirement. I love what Paul Miller says about prayer in his book. He says, start wherever you are. If you're in the middle of some project at work and you're frustrated, <clears throat> start there. If you're uh, with somebody else and realize they have a, a, a need, Start there. 
wherever it is, start there. But make sure at some point you include turning to God, thinking of God's agenda, praising God. And so that's where Jesus starts in his model prayer, focusing on God. But then he goes to us and our. And just like the Psalms, this is an example of intercessory prayer. I'm not praying, give me my daily bread. It's us. Many of us. The second example is from what is called Jesus' high priestly prayer in John 17. And Jesus is praying to God. So in verse 6, Jesus says, I have manifested your name to the people whom you gave me out of the world. Then verse 8, For I have given them the words that you gave me, and they have received them, and have come to know in truth that I came from you, and they have believed that you sent me. Look at verse 9. I am praying for them. I am not praying for the world, but for those whom you have given me, for they are yours. And he goes on to make it clear that he's not just praying for the 11 that are with him. He says, I'm praying for them and all of the others that were there at the time that believed in Jesus, and then everybody else who's going to believe through his name, through their work, Jesus' words, through them, which includes you and me. Praying for all of us. We're going to see a few more examples of intercession in a few weeks when we have the sermon Praying the Psalms, where we actually take a psalm and show how we can use it as the starting point for our prayer as we look at things like Psalm 23 and other psalms. But right now, I'd like to kind of switch gears and talk about another kind of praying for others that's different from intercession, and that's looking at the psalms that are called imprecatory psalms. These are psalms that ask for God's judgment on God's people. And here's an example from Psalm 58, starting in verse 3. The wicked are estranged from the womb. They go astray from birth, speaking lies. They have venom like the venom of a serpent. And then verse 6. O God, break the teeth in their mouths. Tear out the fangs of the young lions, O Lord. Let them vanish like water that runs away. When he aims his arrows, let them be blunted. And so the writer is describing the wicked in verses 3, 4, and 5. The writer then asks God to break their teeth, defang them, thwart their evil, and make them vanish. Now, some people like these kinds of psalms, and there's a sense in which I think all of us at times, especially when we get frustrated with people we call our enemies, and they seem to be winning, that we were thinking about You know, it's kind of like James and John talking to Jesus. Should we call lightning down on them? Just kill them. Turn them into a crisp. Many people are uncomfortable with these psalms. And people have asked, aren't we called to love our neighbors and to pray for our persecutors? And the answer is yes, we are. So how do we reconcile these two? And this is not an Old Testament, New Testament problem. Some people say, oh, the God of the Old Testament, oh, he's angry and he's nasty. Always, you know, beating on people. God of the New Testament, he's a God of love. Go back and read the Old Testament and see how patient God is. And how many times he calls to his people saying, you're not listening. It's like a parent warning your child, didn't, I told you the rule, haven't I? And you just broke it, didn't you? Okay. Or, here you're getting close, I'm giving you the warning. If you keep going the way you're going, you are going to break the rule. There are going to be consequences. That's not 
that's not the work of a God who loves smashing people. Okay, that's the God of love. So it isn't an Old Testament, New Testament thing, but there is something of this dilemma because the imprecatory Psalms calling God's judgment, and aren't we called to love our neighbors and to pray for our persecutors? So how do we reconcile it? Well, the first thing to remember is that imprecatory Psalms are inspired by God, and God is the one who put them in the Bible. Okay, he didn't make a mistake when he put them there. And Bible scholars who have studied these kinds of psalms have noticed that there's some similarities in them. Usually the writer of the imprecatory psalm speaks from a position of weakness and from being persecuted. So evil people are doing evil and it's hurting the writer and others with them. Secondly, the prayer looks to God to act. The writer isn't taking up revenge for themselves. And so imprecatory prayers are not to be used for personal revenge, but as Jesse mentioned and as, as we see in this, they're prayers for God's enemies. But here's another key piece. Imprecatory psalms by themselves do not give us the complete picture. So don't look at them and expect them to. Remember, Precatory prayers are against God's enemies. Well, who's that? It's all of us. We all start as God's enemies. We all naturally reject God and embrace evil. And so, yes, you can watch the news and look at other people and you see plenty of evil out there. But what about the evil in here? It's in both places. As human beings, we do all kinds of horrible things to fellow human beings, and we do it as we rebel against God. So we all deserve God's judgment. God loves his creation, and he hates our evil. But God's love and his wrath are not in conflict. God promises that he will judge all evil. And then God is the one who took the initiative to change people that become Christians, from enemies to adopted children through the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus. Jesus volunteered to be judged and punished in our place for our rebellion so that God could be merciful to us and at the same time be just. Remember, God promised he's going he's to judge and punish all evil. Well, if you're turning to Jesus, and if you have, then Jesus suffered all of the punishment for your evil and for mine in our place. Something that our legal system can't support, but God's legal system does. That Jesus can be our substitute. He can go to jail for us. He can take the punishment for us. And he does. So that God can be merciful and just. And Jesus tells us to pray for our enemies. And he did this himself when he was on the cross being crucified. So there's two extremes we need to avoid. On the one hand, it's wrong to just dismiss imprecatory prayers and psalms altogether and say, you know what, just never going to deal with them at all. On the other hand, we should not be in the camp that only prays for judgment. Because there's a place in the New Testament where it says, you pick the standard. And whatever standard you use, God's going to use. And you know what, you're going to fail it. Even if you think you're okay, you're going to fail it. So don't go for judgment only. Put justice and mercy together. So when we pray 
We ask God to stop the evil. That's what you see in the imprecatory psalms. Stop the evil. But we should also ask God to rescue the evildoer. And then one other thought related to this. We all have an inflated sense of self-righteousness. We can't help it. It's just built in that we think we're better in ways or at times than others. So I would encourage you and me that for every look that we take at somebody else's evil, take two looks at your own evil and at God's forgiveness and realize, left to myself, I'm no better. Left to myself, I could be doing that and worse. Yes, we see the evil. We pray and say, God, would you please stop it? And one day he will. But also see his forgiveness and his mercy. So this morning we have explored intercessory prayer. And we've briefly looked at the imprecatory prayers and psalms. God designed intercessory prayer to be an integral part of of the Christian life. So let me reissue the challenge that I began with this morning, that challenge with the four points. Pray for your family, friends, and neighbors regularly. Ask God to give you and our church family his heart for other people. Pray for their challenges and struggles, their everyday life issues. Pray that God would rescue them spiritually and grow them spiritually. And pray that God would use you to do them good. And remember this, Jesus intercedes for us today. He's both merciful and just. So as we conclude, I'm going to pray that God would help us to pray for others. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you that not only does Jesus pray for us today, but you and he did everything needed to rescue us. And You not only rescue us, you give us your spirit so you are with us every day, every moment of the day, and you call us to follow you. You call us to follow your example. You've taken the initiative to love us. You call us to love others and to love you. Lord, help us to do that. Help us to love you. Help us to love others. Help us to pray for others. Help us to grow in this as we live life with you. pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Let's respond with a song. Please stand.